0: Well, this morning we're starting a new series that we're calling Grace Under Fire. And we're looking at the way that grace works in our lives, especially when times are challenging and how God uses all of that. So in a moment, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. But there are two things I want to do before we get there. Uh, First, I want to embarrass a couple of people. Uh, Brian and Samantha Roach just got married a week ago. Stand up. We all want to congratulate you guys. Happy for you. (laughs) Starting off married life in the right way, proud of you guys. Uh, I had the privilege of doing their service. Uh, Also, I wanted to recognize all the veterans who are here today. This is Veterans Weekend. Would you mind standing for a minute? We just want to thank you and applaud you. If you're a veteran... Thank you for putting your life on hold for a period of time to stand up for values that are treasured and that protect all of us. I'm going to pray for you guys before we, uh, before we go on. Father God, we ask that you will continue to work in the lives of these veterans. We know that sometimes there are wounds that are carried through life. There are memories that are hard at times that are carried through life. There are also wonderful bonds and strengthening friendships that have sustained them through all time. And and we ask that you would continue to bless them and to work in their lives, and we thank you for the impact they've had on all of us, even though we weren't aware of it at the time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our, our primary scripture this morning is from Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And this is the occasion of Moses when God is beginning to send him back to Egypt in order to rescue the Israelites who have fallen into years and years of slavery. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand, a staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white, as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Years ago when North River was a young church and we were still meeting in a warehouse on the other side of Route 3, a friend of mine approached me with an opportunity. He had a friend who was going to run in the Boston Marathon who often looked for a church where she could tell her faith story on the weekend uh, before the race. He told me her name was Jean Driscoll, and at that time she held the record with seven consecutive Boston Marathon victories, the most at that time for any wheelchair athlete. We'd never done anything like this, but I said, yes, knowing that this was very, uh, you know, short and little time to plan. And I said, we'd love to welcome Jean to North River. Now, we didn't have a ramp for our wooden stage that we had at the time, so Jean allowed a few strong men to lift her in her chair up onto the stage. And that day, she told us the story of how her faith in Jesus carried her through the toughest challenges of her life, one of those being born with spina bifida. And how, it meant, how much it meant to her to have Christians who were cheering her on and praying for her while she raced. Well, the next Sunday, I don't know if any of you were here, but I remember intently watching the race on television, wanting to see how Jean did in the race on that day. And Jean was in the lead with her toughest challenger, an Australian named Louise Salvage, who was a short distance behind, when the unthinkable happened. As she came rolling into Cleveland Circle in Boston, where the trolley cars ran on steel tracks that cut through the intersection, one of Jean's wheels caught in those steel tracks, just enough to throw her out of the chair and down onto the pavement. She righted herself, she got back into her her chair to finish the race, even though she was shaken, but that mishap was just enough for her opponent to pass her and to beat her down the straightaway to the finish. And Jean lost for the first time that she'd been in the Boston Marathon. That was in 1997. She came back in 1998 and 1999, only to lose to that same opponent and to finish second twice more. And then she came back in, once more in the year 2000, winning the Boston Marathon for the record eighth time. A few years later, I was asked to speak at my college class's 25th reunion, and the team that gave me the invitation told me that there were a number of people who were coming back to the Christian college that I attended, and that this would be their first time back on campus, and that life hadn't worked out quite the way that they thought they would when we all walked away from campus after graduating. And so they asked me if, if I could give a short 15-minute talk that would in some way encourage these Christians whose, whose lives had kind of gone off the rails, and... Uh, And they were not coming back with trophy stories. So I I opened my talk with that story about Gene Driscoll, who is probably the most inspiring athlete I have ever met. I often talk with people who believe in God as their creator and Jesus as Lord, yet who struggle struggle with faith when life seems to throw them curveballs. And when life doesn't work out the way that they had planned. When they face pressure on all sides. And they wonder, where is God in those moments? Where is God when life all of a sudden seems much harder than we expected? Or when you're not sure about which direction to take at one of life's difficult crossroads? And I find Gene's story fits so well with so many of those folks that I end up talking to. Now, I tell you that story about Gene Driscoll this morning because we're going to begin this short series, three weeks long, that we're calling Grace Under Fire. This title came from a group of writers who help pastors think about topics and how we present challenging topics to people. And so I want to acknowledge that the the title for the series, the idea for the series, came from this group of editors, but the message is, is my own work. The main graphic work that you saw came from our Roxanne Thomas, but the video bumper and the ones that we'll show in other weeks come from that same group that came up with the Grace Under Fire idea. Today's topic is... God's grace is with us. I want you to know more than ever before that God's grace is with you if your faith is in Him, even when it may not look like it because life has taken some strange and unexpected turns. The question that I'm thinking about that lingers behind this particular message is this, where is God when our challenges seem tougher than ever? Let me give you the big idea right up front this morning. When God leads you or calls you to a task or a mission, He will be with you and will equip you along the way. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Now, there's a series theme verse that that goes with with each of these three weeks. And the, the theme is this. Your faith is worth more than gold. Your faith is worth more than gold to God. And here's the verse. It's James 1 verse 7. These have come... So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So here's the Bible, and one of the New Testament writers, the brother of Jesus, who is telling us that there are times when your faith will go under trial, and when you will be tested, and it will seem really hard, but God allows these into our lives, Because through that testing, we are refined like gold is refined in the furnace. So we're going to start with this encouraging principle that your faith matters to God. Trials are situations where faith and truth is tested. And here James tells us that your tested and proven faith is of greater worth than gold. Gold takes on greater value when it's refined. But without that refining, gold never reaches its full worth or brilliance. So I want you to do something with me if you're willing to. Nobody's going to coerce you or strong arm you. But if you're willing to, I think that somebody else in the room may really need this today. Say this with me. Your faith is worth more than gold. Your faith is worth more than gold. Will you find somebody else near you and just tell them that? Your faith is worth more than gold. All right, let's walk through this this uh, theme for today, that God's grace is with us. Here's the first way that God is with us. The Lord is with us in our trials. If we go back a chapter to Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Here's the situation. Moses was being addressed by God. He met him at that burning bush. And Moses had been leading a very silent life as a shepherd in the land of Midian for 40 years after he had run away from his problems in Egypt. And Moses had doubts that he was ready for this assignment that God is also all of a sudden springing on him. Now remember who Moses was. Moses was a a former prince of Egypt and a runaway murderer. He'd been adopted by the daughter of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But he was a young Jewish boy at the time. And and then he'd run away and, and 40 years of tending sheep had humbled him. But he couldn't see how this made him ready for the assignment that God was giving him. So Moses asked the question that we often ask. Who am I to step out and do this? Who am I to take on a big assignment like this? We ask this question when we're given a new role or when we're given a new responsibility. We ask this question when the assignment seems to clash with our sense of worthiness. I have no doubt that several people listening to this message today hold back from serving here at North River in some way, not because we're lazy, but because we have these same self-doubts that rack our minds and hold us back. Who am I to lead a small group Bible study? Who am I to tell my my story, uh, uh, my faith story about coming to understand who Jesus is and how he's changed my life? Who am I to join North River's GO! team helping orchestrate how we serve our neighbors and carry North River's mission beyond these walls or orchestrate how children get these gifts that go to the other side of the world? God's answer to Moses was very simple. I will be with you. That's it. I will be with you. Not, I will make everything simple and easy for you, Moses. It's going to be a piece of cake. Not, um, Moses, this is going to be uh, so simple. In fact, I will lay out exactly what's going to happen step by step once you go back to Egypt. So you have a road map before you. He just says, I will be with you. Friends, that's often what God does with us. You don't have a road map that is all laid out with all of the chapters already written in your life. But God says, I will be with you. I will walk with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we come back to that big idea. When God leads you or calls you to a task or a mission, He will be with you and He will equip you along the way. So, first, we saw that the Lord is with us in our trials. Second, the Lord is with you when you have questions. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses answers and he says, What if they do not believe me or listen to me or say, The Lord did not appear to you? Moses had questions for God when he received this assignment. He had questions when God was appointing him to rescue the Israelite slaves. Moses was not saying that he didn't think this was a worthwhile project. He wasn't saying that he didn't think that the people weren't worth the effort. Rather, this was a huge project going against the world's most powerful king and the world's most powerful army at that time. And Moses was being sent to go head to head with Egypt's Pharaoh armed only with a shepherd's staff and 40 years of expertise in tending sheep. And he's saying, this seems like a mismatch, God. God. Little did Moses know that later on God would send a boy with a shepherd's sling to face off with the Philistine's tallest warrior named Goliath, or that one prophet named Elijah would be challenged to face off against 400 prophets of the Canaanite god Baal, or that Gideon would go into battle with 300 men against hundreds of thousands of Midianites and others who had gathered against Israel Moses was not disqualified because he had questions instead the Lord gave him a strategy but he didn't tell him how people would react to Moses and this strategy. Moses still had to act on faith and his faith was being tested all along the way. The test was about whether he would fully trust the Lord and move forward with the Lord's plan So the Lord asked Moses, what's that in your hand? A staff. He's holding a shepherd's crook, a shepherd's staff. And God says, throw it down on the ground. And Moses throws it down and it became a snake. And then notice what the Lord told him. Moses, I want you to pick it up by the tail. All right, have any of you ever picked up a snake? Anybody ever picked up a, a dangerous, viperous snake? Probably not. But if you did, would you be more likely to grab it by the tail or or to grab it by the head? I would grab it up closer to the head so that the head couldn't have all of this room to snap around and bite me. But by the tail seems dangerous. God tells him, take it by the tail. Moses had to face his fears in that moment. And when he reached down and grabbed it, it turned back into a staff. It's an amazing story. This is often how the Lord tests us today with a faith challenge. And when he presents that challenge, he is telling you that he wants you to be all in and trust in his power. Back in August, we had the Global Leadership Summit here for a couple of days. We were one chapter of of this uh, satellite conference that goes on all across North America on those two days. And there was a visionary church from Georgia that took place, and they brought up about 25 people with them, and they'd been pouring into a group of church planters from Boston. And so these young church planters were also with us. Rick Frazier and I were invited to have lunch with him on one of those days. And one of those guys talked about how hard it had been to start their church in rented facilities in Boston. And he said, you know, we don't have this big campus and this big nice building that you have. And I was able to take them back for a couple of minutes about, to, to talk about North River's early days, how we started in a, a series of rented schoolrooms, and then we outgrew that, and then we were in a warehouse for 13 years, uh, never really dreaming that things would work out quite the way that they did. The Lord never spelled out to us exactly how North River's future would unfold. There was risk involved, and he didn't guarantee an easy easy path to acquiring land or or building this facility or to to how the fundraising would go to acquire the money to, to build what we have so far. There was more risk that everybody here embraced in order to move forward with this vision we had for North River Church. But oh, how the Lord provided at just the right time at each season. That's often the way that he works. So the Lord is with us in our trials. The Lord is with you when you have questions. Here's the third discovery that we make for Moses. The Lord is with you when nobody believes you. When nobody believes your story or believes that you can be used in the way that God wants to use you. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, the first sign was the staff that turns into a snake, they may believe the second sign. The second sign Moses was given, he put his hand inside his cloak and it would become leprous. That's pretty gross. He'd put it back and it would come out healthy. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So at first, Moses is given these two repeatable miraculous signs. The staff that turns into a snake turns back into a staff when he picks it up. His own hand turns leprous if he would put it inside his cloak, but it would be restored to health when he pulls it out. Or puts it in a second time and pulls it out. This was what grabbed my attention as I was reading this again and again over the last week. These won't be enough for some people. They wouldn't be enough to change hard hearts in Egypt. God was sending Moses to people who wouldn't believe these miraculous signs. Some of those were fellow Israelites who were there and had given up on believing that there was a God who ever cared about them or would rescue them. But some of the people who would not believe them were the Egyptians. So he gives them this third sign. He tells them to take water from the Nile and pour it out on the the ground and it turns to blood. There's one key difference between the first two signs and this third sign for Moses. You know what it is? Moses doesn't get to test it. He's in the land of Midian when God makes this promise to him. He's not in Egypt where the Nile River is. He can't immediately go to the Nile and scoop some out and pour it on the ground and watch it turn to blood. The first time that Moses is ever going to do this is when it all becomes for real. And if you remember, there are 10 plagues that that uh, unfolds during that time when God is releasing the people from Egypt. And one of them is turning all of the water from the Nile River and all the water in the land to blood. And Moses doesn't know until that moment that he exercises his faith that God will come through on that promise. In a way, God was telling him that when more was coming, things that he would not even believe then. If you take on the mission of representing Jesus as one of his followers, some people will not believe you at first. They will watch your life and they will test you. But God doesn't promise miraculous signs for you and me in the same way as he did with Moses. This was for the exodus. This was for rescuing literally thousands and thousands of people from slavery. But he will send you to people like this. And to some people who will never believe in Jesus, who will never believe your story, who will think it's all made up or somehow you got manipulated when you went to church. Yet, he will be with you even in that promise and even in that process. That observation reminded me of something important this week. I have often told you about people who I have talked to about Jesus, met them on a park bench, met them somewhere And mostly those have been occasions where I was eventually able to guide that person to faith in Jesus. But I realize I have very rarely told you about the many, many times when those conversations were unsuccessful or when I was shut down or somebody closed a door in my face because they didn't want to talk about Jesus or they walked across the room and talked with somebody else. What a mistake that has been on my part, as if to make you think that all of these conversations always end out with with wonderful results. But you know what? This is part of a test. There are times when you're going to talk to somebody about your faith. You're going to share what God has done in your life. You're going to tell somebody about why you love Jesus, and they are going to turn you off cold. Get ready for that. Get used to it. There are people who aren't ready yet but when you keep trying some will and that makes all the difference because some will when God leads you or calls you to a task or a mission he will be with you and he will equip you along the way and sometimes part of that equipping is teaching you how do you handle it when other people say no I'm not with you in this fourth the Lord is with you when you don't know what to say I love this part Look at what happens here in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. There's no out here for Moses. The Lord is sending him no matter what. He's saying, God, don't you realize what you're doing? I'm going to be a terrible spokesman for the cause. Uh, I lack eloquence, but lack of eloquence doesn't hamper the Lord's choice at all. Slowness of tongue doesn't disqualify him at all. The Lord equips and teaches and prepares along the way. He tells Moses that he will help him. He will teach him what to say. And then he seems to scold Moses. Now go. I will help you. I'll teach you what to say. This is a continuing characteristic of our God. You and I come up with all kinds of fears and all kinds of worries about what we lack when God puts us into an assignment. Yet he loves you so much that he makes up for what you lack with training and equipping. It is so hard to come up with great excuses in the face of a God who equips, especially a God who equips along the way. But that's often the pathway that he chooses you know what he's saying get over yourself Moses I am enough for you get over yourself Paul I am enough I can help you along the way get over yourself North River member I will be with you I will give you the words to say at the right time and God does and then one last discovery the Lord is with you when you don't want to go Verse 13 is the next verse after what we read earlier. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) I identify with Moses. I think you identify with Moses. That's why we're laughing. This is Moses' final, desperate, please send somebody else, Lord. But the Lord had already anticipated this. And he lets Moses know that his brother Aaron, who's been in Egypt is on his way through the desert to meet Moses, that not only has God prepared Moses for this moment, he's also prepared his brother, and he said, he will be your spokesman. I will tell you what to say, you'll tell Aaron, Aaron will speak to the people. He's going to be better at it than you are. The Lord has heard it all before, even when you and I tell him to send somebody else. Isn't this great? Aaron became Moses' spokesman before the people, And even before the great pharaoh, the king of Egypt, well, maybe this isn't so great if the Lord has been prompting you. There's something He wants you to do. There's somewhere He wants you to go. There's a team He wants you to join. There's somebody He wants you to share the reasons for the hope that you have because they'll only listen to you. There's someone He wants you to reach. And I want you to know this. If He's laying that on your heart, He will be with you and he will help you again and again and again when god leads you or calls you to a task or a mission he will be with you and will equip you along the way all right i open with a marathon story i'm going to close with a marathon story do you remember bill rogers rogers was the four-time boston marathon and four-time new york marathon winner well, there was a guy named Bill Broadhurst who idolized Bill Rogers. Broadhurst was a runner too, and in July of 1981, he entered the Pepsi Challenge 10K race in Omaha, a race that his hero Bill Rogers would be running and would win in less than 30 minutes. The thing that differentiated Bill Rogers and Bill Broadhurst was that Broadhurst, as a runner, was paralyzed on his entire left side due to a brain aneurysm that had happened 10 years earlier in his life. But he'd always loved to run, and he still loved to run, and the greatest thing he could imagine was running in the same race that Bill Rogers was in. Rogers had run and had won the race and had finished. The banners had been taken down, and traffic was again flowing like normal on the roads. Nothing would indicate that a race had even been run on the roads that day, except for the fact that there was one runner still out there, Bill Broadhurst, who was still running his race two hours after all the leading runners had finished. As Broadhurst approached the finish line, some kids rode up on their bikes and mocked him. Hey, mister, the race has been over for hours. Why don't you quit? The race is over. But Broadhurst kept running. He sort of had to force one leg to get out in front of the other. And as he approached the place where he knew that all the others had already crossed the line and they'd already celebrated... Bill Rogers himself and about 20 other people stepped out and cheered him on. And Bill Broadhurst stumbled across the line. And there stood his hero, Bill Rogers, who took the medal from his own neck and put it around the neck of Bill Broadhurst. And he said, Here, you worked harder for this than I ever have. Are you tired? Are you ready to quit? The challenges seem higher than you expected. Has life thrown you a curveball that you didn't see coming? Are you afraid to even start the race? Remember Jesus and all those who have already finished the race who are cheering you on. Run well. Get in the race. Finish well. Let's pray. Father God, on this rainy day, we thank you for the way that You use the challenges in life to test our faith and to remind us that you are with us at all times and that you never leave us. And Lord, we recognize that often you leave the challenges in our lives and you allow us to go through the trials that come because when we come through holding on to you, we come through like gold refined by the fire. Lord, I pray one thing that you will give us the ability to stand through the tests. And let that gold shine and bear witness to your refining work. In Jesus' name, amen.